Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I will explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. Please send your comments and questions and topic suggestions to info at nickybush.com. And don't forget to share the Win at Work and Life podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life. This morning, I'm with Sue Fullergood, a specialist physiotherapist with a deeper interest in mind-body connection and emotional well-being. She's often referred to as a body whisperer and an energy guru. Sue has been a very serious athlete in her life and has been an amazing adventurer and explorer. She's done multiple different sports and overcome numerous challenges. So I thought it would be fantastic to chat to Sue, especially in this time of COVID-19, about what it means to keep our bodies fit and healthy over this time, especially in confinement. Some people are used to doing long distance running and we've got kids who've been doing exercise six, seven days a week at a high level. How, how do we contain them? How do we help them to use their bodies effectively, uh, boost those endorphins and feel a sense of physical satisfaction over this time? So I thought that Sue would be the perfect person to chat to. And uh, Sue, let's, let's kick off. I know that exercise is not just about the body either. Yeah, thank you, Nikki. It's great to be here with you chatting about this subject, which is so close to my heart. Um, I absolutely agree with you. Exercise is not just about the body. Exercise makes an unbelievable difference to our well-being in our minds and in our body. And we were made to move. I say motion is lotion. <clears throat> we were made to move and the more we move, the better we're going to feel. But the critical factor in this day and age, and especially in this time of COVID-19 and the crisis it's posed for us, is how do we do this and how do we keep it going to best advantage um, whilst we're juggling all the other balls that we've got to juggle um, and, and working from home and children trying to train at home without uh, the input that they're used to from their coaches and their um, fellow sports people at school. So how do we get all that to work together and how do we keep ourselves moving and constructive uh, is a subject I'm really excited to talk about. So let's just start by saying, um, I uh, work in the field of sports medicine um, um, quite a lot of the time and I am um, the physiotherapist to quite a few very high level um, children um, who are struggling at this time. And so I'm going to share with you some of the information I've given to them. You know, when we are in um, a competitive sports arena, um, the pressure is on all the time to be getting ahead in our particular specialist sport and to be keeping up and making sure we keep our place in the team making sure we don't let our fellow teammates and our coach down. We are always under excessive pressure to um, perform and to be seen to be doing well so that that precarious position in the team is always kept. 
And there's a lot of stress in that, which I think um, we don't have in this particular time because you can't see your teammates, you can't see your coach and neither can they see you. Um, we don't know if what people are saying is going on is in fact true, whether they are in fact doing the things that they say they're doing um, and telling the truth about what they're doing. Um, that's being our fellow teammates, I mean. And so we're actually sitting in isolation in, in our training domain, which is a very unfamiliar place. And kind of I think this, sorry. It's a huge psychological challenge. Enormous psychological challenge. To be working but in this it, vacuum. Exactly. Uh, you don't have the support of your teammates. You don't have the support of your coach. You don't have the support if you've been a very high level sports person like uh, a rower or, um, you know, who's made a, a, a national team, for example. You know, you've, you've, you've had this entire structure around you and now you're actually at sea. And so this is not just about a, a dealing with your body. It's actually about dealing with your mind as well. Exactly. And um, I think that um, it's much better for to turn this around and make it advantageous to ourselves. Because if we can, then this could just be the little get ahead moment that our sports career actually requires. And I say this because when you can actually train your body in a way um, that's really about you and your body and not about you and keeping your place in the team and keeping up with your teammates, then you get to take the time to focus on your challenge places. I'll give you an example. I had, a, um, as a competitive long distance runner, I had a hamstring injury for years in my left um, hamstring tendon. And this left my left leg slightly weaker which meant that when I was running, I was always overworking my right leg. But I've used this time in, in uh, the last couple of weeks to really do drills on my left leg. For example, I noticed that when I hopped across my trampoline, it was very hard for me to hop sideways to the left on my left leg. I could do it very nicely on my right leg, but my left leg was flailing a little bit and was a little bit weak. And so that's been something that I've concentrated on. And because I'm at home, I can quickly go outside a few times a day and do a few hops to the left. So I've really been able to bring my brain back online to using my left leg in a far more constructive way, in a far more regular way. And because I've had the opportunity to do it many times a day, and just to do that, I've, I've been able to really change this problem, which has been there for a long time. So I'm sharing that story with your listeners so that they can try to think, what are my weak spots and how do I use this time to really hone in on those and focus on those where I'm not forcing myself to compete all the time? I love that idea, Sue, because you're really talking about self-care and self-motivation and using this time in a very different way. So shifting the mindset from competition with others to actually strengthening and bolstering yourself. And that's a very different direction to take, which what I love about that is that we're doing a gear shift. 
And we're saying this time is not the same as any other time. So we have to be doing things differently and maybe for a different reason, a different motivation. Exactly, Nikki. And, and to actually be able to say this, I'm going to use this time to serve my sports career rather than saying this is a time that's difficult and that's going to interfere with my sports career. This is getting in the way. But no, this is a gift for you. This is a time to do it differently. And it is a slowdown time. You can't be going at the pace you were going at school um, or university or wherever you normally perform your sport. This is a time where you can get to focus in slightly differently. I'm thinking of those people who are training for comrades who had already put in so much work and effort and got their mindset right and their discipline and commitment for training for the comrades. And uh, what's, what happened there? Because I'm sure we've got a lot of adults who are listening in who are not just parents, but maybe sports men and women themselves. How can they resolve that issue in their own minds? So, and in fact, today would have been the two oceans. Um, and uh, it's really, really hard. I wasn't planning to run the two oceans or the comrades this year, but I've done many in my life. And, uh, you know, the heartbreak of having done all that hard work and then not to get to run the race could be overwhelming. And yet, for most of us, we are not, we're so busy getting to the goal point that we don't have time to really develop ourselves as an athlete. So I think there are so many components to being a sports person that just training for the comrades doesn't allow you to develop. For example, cross-training. I think that um, for you to be a, a, a well-rounded, healthful, well-athlete, you need to have flexibility. You need to have core strength. You need to have great balance. You need to have um, agility in the brain's awareness of where the body is in space. And if you just go out every day and run 10Ks and at the weekend you run 42 or 52 or whatever it is that you're running in your training program, you are not having the time or the space to develop those spheres of your physicality and um, of your athletic ability. And so I just think this is a great opportunity. Disappointing, yes. And you've got to just include that disappointment. We can't make it go away. It is a devastating blow to train for a big event, which takes six months to train for and then not be able to run the event. I get that. But you still have that fitness and endurance that you've spent so much time developing. It's there. It's yours. And I know there's no bank account for it. I agree. There, you know, in three months time, you'll have lost all that fitness, definitely. But if you could use this time to develop your speed, to develop your hill training, if you've got a, um, a hill in your garden somewhere, if you've got some stairs, you can do some stair climbing and build the glute strength, the gluteus maximus muscle, which is the one that we really need to drive us up a hill. And um, if we could use some time to run up and down the stairs in your garden or in your house and actually build that strength. So try and think about it in a different way. Try and look at it through a different lens. And maybe at this time, Sue, to talk about the connection between the breath and the body, because when we're training hard or we don't have time, often we go and we stretch without breathing. 
And when you can connect your breath with the stretching, you can get so much further. Uh, you know, so many people are rigid because we live this hard, fast life and we sit for too long. How can we maybe get more in touch with our, our body and our flexibility over this time? Absolutely. And I love that you've raised the breath. I mean, that is, that is the one thing that can take you from good to great as, as an athlete of any sort. And when you are so busy training with your um, fellow teammates or your colleagues or your running mates or whatever, there isn't time because you're busy engaging with them to focus on your breath. And absolutely, we have this incredible strong muscle called our diaphragm. And we have our breathing muscles called our intercostal muscles, which lie between our ribs. And these muscles can either be trained to develop themselves to work uh, through an enormous range, through the biggest possible range, or they can be trained to just work through a small range. So most um, sports people are not using the full capacity of their ability to breathe. They're not using their diaphragm through the full available range, and neither are they using their ribs through the full available and the intercostal muscles through the full available range, which means that they often land up having stiff ribs and stiff backs and stiff thoracic spines. And so this is an incredible time to be working with the breath to actually be taking the deepest breaths you can take and to actually be driving the breath into the belly so that as you're training, you're really working to get the best possible breath. And maybe the, a good idea is to do some yoga classes or you can join in with some of my Fabes classes, which I run free online at the moment um, on a Monday yep. and a Thursday evening. And you're most welcome to come and join those free classes and in which we do work a lot with the breath. We work a lot with developing that rib mobility um, and the mindfulness of what's going on in the breathing apparatus. So um, I highly recommend that that's a great skill to be working with right now. Sue, what's the uh, website address? Where so can people... um, uh, basically, if you could um, email us at admin at bodybrilliance.co.za or visit our Facebook page, which is Body Brilliance, um, you will easily be able to find uh, the links to the free online courses. Um, on um, Mondays and Thursdays from five o'clock till six o'clock. And we do actually post the um, recording of the lesson as well. So you can do it in your own time if you didn't make that session. That sounds fantastic. Now, Sue, during lockdown, we are at home with, without a full-on gym, without all the bells and whistles. And I know in my home, uh, sometime in the evening, the coffee table gets turned into a bench and my young men who are in their, young, in their 20s have got weights and they're there pushing each other and encouraging each other to, to push weights and keep fit. What else can we use in our homes to create uh, circuits for ourselves. I mean, I have exactly 100 paces. I'm living in quite a small place versus your home, which is much more like I used to live in, a half an acre with a long driveway and a hill and grass and a trampoline and trees and all those things. But many people are not living in those kinds of environments. My exercise literally starts at my front door and I walk 100 paces from the front door through the dining room, through the kitchen, walking around 
all the counters, out the back door, through my garage, into my tiny little driveway, where I do figures of eights around the cars. There are two cars parked in the driveway and back through the front door. So without the figures of eights, it's 100 paces. I've managed to do about nearly two kilometers if I walk for about a half an hour. And I push my heart rate up by using the single step that I have in the house where I, I try and get my heart rate up for a bit. Um, but maybe you could shed some light on what people could do. How can we be a little bit more creative? How can we get to, somebody said to me the other day, they, they walked five kilometers, they created a new park run at their address because they've got a big garden. Uh, and they park run members. And I think people are getting creative, but we are gonna have to use the chairs and the tables and the hose pipes and things like that. Absolutely. So um, I've got some young people in my family. One is in matric and, and my son is uh, in second year varsity and he's a huge big rock climber. We're all rock climbers. So we've set up a, a slack line. We took a big piece of um, webbing and we tied it from one um, pillar in our house to the other and we having competitions uh, balancing along the slack line and that's fantastic for core strength. Um, and, and when you've got your walk organized and you can go across the slack line, then you've got to be able to go across it backwards and you've got to lift your leg and do uh, turnarounds and all sorts of tricks. <laughs> so that's one idea. We are doing a lot of box jumping. So if you have any form of a step or even if you don't have a step in your house, you can put a whole lot of books together or pieces of wood together <clears throat> and actually jump with two feet onto the step trying to do a hundred jumps without stopping um, and that will develop the plyometric or the elastic jumping strength of your tendons and your muscles. So that's a great one. Skipping is another great one um, where you don't need a lot of space. Uh, you do want to be careful you don't knock all the ornaments off your <laughs> of your counters but uh, yeah, we're having a great fun skipping and seeing how many minutes we can go before we have a mistake. In fact, skipping is one of those activities that all top sportsmen and women use, whether they're tennis players or boxers or runners. It's that high intensity um, exercise that also requires a huge amount of coordination, eye-hand coordination, eye-foot coordination, rhythm. And that brings me to talk about the fact that if you have a tiled floor in your home, when my kids were tennis players, one of the things that they were taught was how to do fancy footwork on a ladder. You know, one of those string ladders that the coach mm -hmm. used to have on the tennis court. And you had to, on your tippy toes, be running in and out, you know, of these, um, of, of the rungs of the ladder without stepping on the rungs of the ladder. But if you don't have one of those ladders and you've got a tiled floor, we always used to use the passage tiled floor in our old house. And now I have quite big tiles in my, in my house here. And literally um, going backwards and forwards and jumping and skipping and hopping in between the tiles is a brilliant exercise. And it doesn't just 
work as an exercise, it also connects the brain with the body. And I found that doing, getting my kids to do fancy footwork up and down the passageway on the tiles was a fantastic way to wake up the brain when they had to do homework or when they had to study for exams. And I used to say to them, well, when you're going to your exam, and I'm sure they probably didn't do this, but when you go to your exam, do the same thing. But if you can't do it on the tiled floors, just do stair work. So run up, run up and down the stairs at school before you sit in a classroom and write an exam because you've given your brain lots of oxygen and you've boosted the endorphins, the happiness hormones, and you're actually feeling in good shape. You're connected. Exactly. And uh, I love uh, that that exercise is such a good idea. I mean, you could put little pieces of masking tape to make those big tiles a little bit smaller for that exercise to even be you know, become more fine. But um, the brain needs to understand where the body is in space. I can't move my body effectively if I don't uh, know where my all my body parts are in space. And um, I had a really interesting experience earlier, um, well, last year actually, because I broke my thumb and it was in a plaster cast for uh, three months, basically, or six weeks to three months. And it took me a long time to really get my brain to understand where my thumb was in space again. And, and I, you know, this kind of inability, it's, it's, it often creates a weakness because if the brain doesn't exactly know where the, where the body part is in space, then it actually makes the muscles tighten up and it makes them all in spasm. Um, or it doesn't use them. It almost deletes that body part from its brain, from its soma, um, its picture of your body. And so having that constant feedback of the body parts into the brain, into the motor sensory cortex, it's called, or the homunculus, is absolutely vital to keeping the body and the brain um, functional and to keeping the brain operating properly. It's, it's very stressful to the brain when it doesn't know where the body is in space. And when we sit all day and lots of mm. uh, children who are normally you know, doing a lot of school sport are now spending a lot of time either doing online homeschooling or dare I say on Netflix or Instagram <laughs> or whatever ever other social media platform they enjoy. And, and I don't have any problem with you spending some time like that, but hours and hours and hours of sitting means your brain is just void of information from the body. And that's just disastrous for your well-being. So some other little activities that I think are useful in this context are if you've got a hockey stick and a hockey ball to be doing the tapping where you're hitting the ball in the air and see how many you can, you know, create your own record. And that's a five minute little exercise that kids can do every half an hour of schoolwork. Uh, they can take five minutes to do something like that. Or if you've got a, a tennis racket or a squash racket and a ball, you can be, be hitting the ball up in the air or bouncing the ball down on the floor or flipping your racket over, um, you know, one side over the other. And that's all eye-hand coordination. And once again, or even juggling. Oh, yes. well, it doesn't have to be a ball, it can be an orange, you know, <laughs> or a tin, a can of food. So simple things can be highly effective. As Absolutely. you say, a can of food, using cans as weights, using Coke, bottles of Coke as, as weights. Um, you know, Absolutely. that's and a towel. I am a huge believer. All my exercise classes are simply using body weight. And it's unbelievable if you lift your own body, how strong you can make your body. So 
um, push-ups and pull-ups are obvious examples, but um, you can suspend yourself between a corner um, counter in your kitchen, holding on your hands and dipping your body down to the ground while you're boiling the kettle. How many times can you lift your knees up to your nose in that context? Or leaning into the counter and doing a push-up into the kitchen counter or the bath on the side of the bath. Um, you know, so there's so many ways you can push your own body weight around. Lifting your legs, just actually standing on one leg and lifting the other leg as high as you possibly can, almost like a ballerina does, is incredibly strength building. And especially for the glutes and the core, which all sports people need to develop. So that's a fantastic exercise. Lift your leg up to the front, lift it to the side, lift it to the back. Um, and it often works the muscles in a range of movement that people are not required to use for their sport, but need to be able to use. Sue, can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of exercising from an emotional point of view and a psychological point of view in terms of dealing with the shock and the trauma and the fear that we're going through at the moment? Because it's not just about our bodies and connecting our bodies with our brains, but there's a whole emotional component here that I think needs looking at. So, so if we come back to... Um, the, the sort of athletes uh, specifically, but this isn't just for athletes, but I just wanted to really put this part in. If we look at David Rock, who's a very famous neuroscientist um, and a big researcher, he talks about the SCARF principle. And the SCARF principle, um, I think is very relevant here. Um, I'm gonna go through what SCARF stands for because it's an acronym. And uh, if we look at each one of those letters in the acronym, it stands for a, um, a concept that is vital to our well-being. If we don't have it, it produces a massive threat for the brain. And if we do have it, it produces a massive reward for the brain. So the presence or absence of these concepts I'm about to tell you about um, actually changes our neurobiology completely, either to one of stress because we're under threat or to one of um, happiness and safety if we're under reward. So SCARF stands for, first of all, status. Now, people who are athletes are getting a constant reward on the status level because they're good sports people, they're achieving, they're getting ahead, they're at the front of the queue, everybody admires them, so they're getting a lot of status. As there's feedback in the system. There's feedback, exactly right. But now that's been removed. So now they're living in a void of status and potentially even a threat that they've lost that status. Uh, that when they go back to school, things will not be the same. The hockey season will be over or the rugby season or whatever it is, et cetera, et cetera. So status. Mm -hmm. The second one is um, certainty. We need to know what's coming next. And we are all under massive threat from that perspective right now. I mean, hello, we have no idea. Is this lockdown going to be extended again? Uh, what's it going to look like? We really don't know. And everybody's shouting off about how the world's going to be different, but we don't know what that looks like. So our certainty is definitely being threatened. Um, A stands for autonomy. That's actually knowing 
um, that we have the right to choose about our own lives. And our autonomy to a large extent has been taken away. Um, so we're under threat from that perspective as well. Um, yeah, we're not able to choose about everything, but we can really remind ourselves that we've got a lot we can choose about. We can choose about how we're going to view the situation. We can choose about how we're going to um, work with ourselves and control what we can control. For example, our own training schedules, our own um, how we look after our bodies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we have got some autonomy, but we're inclined to feel that we have none. Uh, the the next one is R, and it stands for relatedness. Now we are all under threat from a relatedness perspective, and I think especially athletes, who and and sports people and and children who are used to being in relation to their friends all the time and their and their teammates, and so now being in separation is an enormous threat, um, and and you know that's a massive factor. And the last one is fairness. And we are definitely threatened in the fairness domain. Is this fair? Um, is it fair that you've trained for the comrades or the rugby season and you've put a year's worth of effort into it and now it's been, you've been robbed of it? Is that fair? There's so much that isn't fair about this whole situation. So we are under threat. And, and that means that our neurobiology is different. And we are having a lot of production of cortisol. We're having a lot of production of the stress hormones. And we're not getting the rewards that we're used to. And so our serotonin levels are probably low. Our dopamine levels are low because we don't have the normal routine and we don't have the normal certainty about what's coming next. So our happy hormones, our feel-good hormones are dropping. Now, what to do about this? because we can only control what we can control. And, um, and so I really want to start by saying that exercise is the most magnificent way to get your serotonin levels up, your dopamine levels up. And having some sort of a routine about your exercise is going to help with your dopamine as well. So those are the feel-good, happy hormones. When you get a good sweat and you get your heart beating hard, you dump adrenaline. That's the, one of the stress hormones. That's the first stress hormone that your body produces. And you help to normalize your cortisol levels. So from that perspective, you are changing your um, hormonal status and your neurotransmitters and making your body more functional the minute you exercise. But the exercise requires several factors. The first one is it must make you sweat. It must make you, your heart rate go up significantly. It must be, the research seems to think, at least 20 minutes in duration. And so for, for our um, top sports people specifically, but actually for anybody, I would suggest two sessions of exercise a day is fantastic if you can get that going. And, and we have the freedom to choose how we're using our time at the moment. So I would say that's probably possible. Are you saying two sessions of 20 minutes at a time? At least, yes. I mean, if you want to make it longer, go mad, but at least 20 minutes. And when you talk about pushing that heart rate up, I know there's so many different theories out there. What, how does that work? How okay. many minutes at what rate? So 
you know, I, I, it's very difficult to answer that question because it's a generic question and I don't want anybody to get into trouble. And so I'm going to, I'm going to actually back away from answering that. The reason is I don't want anybody to, to, you know, to give themselves, get themselves into distress. But let's just say when you feel your body's going quite close to the red zone, you know, that you feel like you're under, you're really pushing it. Um, if you want to measure your heart rate, 220 minus your age gets your very generic maximum heart rate. And I would say that um, for some of that 20 minutes, you want to be as close as you can get to your maximum heart rate. And for some of that, you want to be in just below that sort of 60, 70% of your maximum heart rate. But those are very generic numbers and I definitely don't want anybody to get into distress. You know, if you yeah, haven't been training, don't no. for God's sake go and suddenly put yourself into the red zone. And um, also we all have different resting heart rates. Uh, there's so many variables, as you exactly. say. I mean, my son and I have completely, completely different resting heart rates. And exactly. when he pushes himself, when I push myself, I go from zero to hero very quickly. He's got to work so much harder than I have to work to get to that maximum heart rate. Exactly, Nikki. And, and that brings me to one of the massive factors here is know your own body. And this situation gives you a chance to get to know your own body a little bit better. You know, if you're a child at school working with a school system, your coach has got 15, 20 kids that they're trying to train all at the same time. And each one of those children, each one of you is completely different to the next one. Mm -hmm. But they have to use a program that fits everyone. So this is such a great opportunity to come to understand your body. How does it like to exercise? How fast does it go into, um, does it allow you to get your heart rate up? How, um, how long does it allow you to stay in a heightened state, in an aroused state where you are, uh, your heart rate is very high? You know, some people's bodies allow that for longer and some people's bodies don't. Um, what is your body all about? Just even from an eating perspective, how does your body thrive best? You know, some people talk about intermittent fasting just by way of an example. I can't tell you whether intermittent fasting is good for you. You have to test it out for your own body. I can tell you that having a long period of time without eating the longest possible is good for you because that enables your body to complete its digestive process. But is that period 12 hours for you, 15 hours, 16 hours, or 20 hours, I don't know. And I really feel that you have to come to know your own body and you have to work with your body if you want to get the best out of your body. So use this time to experiment and play and see what works best for you. Sue, I absolutely love all the advice you've been giving us. And it's such a, a balanced approach to mind, body, emotions and how connected we are before we wrap up this interview is there anything else that we haven't touched on and can you also please remind our listeners where they can find the resources that you've spoken about the classes that you're running and and further information sure so the the one little thing that we haven't even touched on is sleep and oh, yes. athletes do not think often how important sleep and rest actually are to their performance. And so I um, would love to say that. And, and when I say athletes, I'm also talking about 
high-performance people who are not necessarily high-performance athletes, they're high-performance people. For us to perform... On five to six hours of sleep a day at the most, probably. <laughs> Say again, sorry? I think they're existing on five to six hours of sleep a day for the most part, which we know is not enough. Exactly. And the research is so clear. And my own personal research 30 years into working with people is the more you sleep, the better you're going to perform. Obviously, there's a tipping point and you don't want to be sleeping more than eight hours at a time. Even if you're a teenager, I don't recommend sleeping for, you know, maybe you can push the envelope to nine hours, but I don't recommend sleeping longer than that because then your brain starts to become deprived of oxygen. So, because you obviously don't breathe as deeply when you're sleeping. So you're going to wake up feeling foggy and low energy. So eight hours is the critical number that has been coined by masses amounts of research. And there are no outliers on this. Maybe you could go to seven hours and maybe you could go to nine hours. But beyond that, if you are not getting adequate sleep, you are not performing at your best, I promise you. And um, there are certain factors that are critical and one of them is getting into rapid eye motion sleep, actually getting yourself into a very deep state of sleep. And that is, absolutely essential to the sleep having the magical effects that it has on the body of clearing the brain, detoxifying the brain and restoring the nervous system to its state of health. And by the way, allowing learning to happen. So actually getting yourself into a really deep state of, um, of sleep is vital. And one of the best ways to get into that is exercise because you've dumped adrenaline, you've allowed your body to um, tire itself. And so um, that's going to help you with your sleeping. But the two other little magical tips I'd love to throw um, into the pot here. The first one is really, really pay attention to your screen time. Screens arouse the nervous system because they're stimulatory. There's very bright lights. There's a lot of megapixels and sound stimuli and so on that is coming into the nervous system. And if you offer that to your nervous system and then a few seconds later expect it to drop into a state of relaxation, it can't happen. Mm. Your body can go into a state of sleep, but the nervous system's not going to drop into its deepened uh, restful state. Because it's been so, bombarded by so absolutely. much stimulation. It's, it's, it's kind of been attacked, even though we see it as entertainment, it's actually an, a kind of an attack on the nervous system. Absolutely. So that stands to reason. And people say, I, I use Netflix or whatever it is to unwind. Yes, do that by all means, unwind. But then you need an hour after that before you go to sleep with a book or with some music or with whatever, some meditation or a bath or whatever it is, but no stimulation into the brain. And so that also um, speaks to the fact that if you have been studying a student or a learner, if you've been studying late at night and then you use a screen to chill, um, I'm trying to remember what the figure is. You lose at least 10%, I think, of what you've just learned and you won't know which 10% you just lost. Exactly. Because the brain's exactly. got enough time to, as you said earlier, 
learn. And that is because your brain is much brighter than you think. And it needs downtime to make sense of and create meaning around what you just learned. It's not just about putting information into the brain, but giving it the time to process what it just learned, to let the learning land. Exactly. And, And for the subconscious mind to make sense of it and to integrate it. Yeah. So, um, absolutely. So, I mean, and this doesn't just apply to children. This applies to high-powered executives too. to switch your computer off and jump into bed. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Please don't do that to yourself. It's just um, torture and it's not good for you. So, screen detox is vital. And please, by the way, don't sleep with your cell phone next to your bed either. My children and I fight all the time with getting their phones out of their bedrooms or at the very least to the far corner of the bedroom. Just get in that habit. Put it away. Um, Partly because you don't want it to disturb you with the LED light and with the vibrations and with all the messages coming in, but mostly because the Wi-Fi, we don't know exactly what effect that's having on your brain. So just don't put it near your brain. It's just not worth it. Your brain is precious. Don't screw it up by putting a phone next to it. Do you switch your phone off completely when you go to sleep at night? No, I don't. I switch mine onto airplane mode, um, but it's on the other side of the far side of the room. I have a huge bedroom, so I can do that. But if I had a small bedroom, I'd put it outside the door. It's just that there's a plug on the far side of the room to charge it. <laughs> so, so that's the first thing is sleep. And the second thing um, that, and I just want to say one more thing about sleep is power naps are brilliant, especially for athletes. So if you are, um, uh, you know, getting the chance to have a quick little power nap in the middle of the day, it will do you a lot of good, but less than 20 minutes. You set an alarm so you do not sleep longer than 20 minutes because if you go into a deep state of sleep, then you will inhibit the sleeping quality then, then at the night following that. Or in the night following that. So be very mindful of that. And the last little snippet I really want to put into this um, little discussion is nutrition. And I heard a talk by Tim Noakes last night uh, from the radio, a little um, audio clip. And and I know he's not a virologist, but he was saying how absolutely important it is from a... um, protecting yourself against the um, coronavirus to make sure that you are eating properly and not allowing your body to go into any state towards having a heightened sugar level. And um, I I don't understand all the complexity of um, virology, but I know this. For you to thrive, you want to stay away from sugar and processed carbohydrates. those things are just not good for your body and the less of it you have the better and I use one simple rule of thumb if God makes it eat it if man makes it don't eat it (laughs) well that's an interesting mantra to have and an easy one to remember it's very easy to follow and number two is don't snack do not snack because then your bacteria in your stomach cannot finish their digestive process Every time you put something into your mouth, the bacteria stop their work down in your lower part of your gut. Ah, so and it's those bacteria and their hard work that are supplying you with the vitamins and the nutrients that you need to sustain your performance. So do not snack. 
meal times with as long as possible in between eating is the way to go. I'm sure of it. Sue, so can you remind us about the resources oh, and the website? Resources. So my website is www.bodybrilliance with a ce.co.za. My other website, um, and there are a lot of resources on there too, is www.theenergyincubator.co.za. Um, I have Facebook pages for both, and we are posting daily, um, if not more times than once a day, uh, posts, all of which are how to help you manage your body and your well-being right now. So I'd love for you to like our pages and take full advantage of that. The classes that I'm running at the moment are on Zoom. This week, I'm going to put them on YouTube. So I'm sure going forward, you'll be able to get them on YouTube. But for now, it's about following the link. If you want to get hold of us to send you the link, it's admin at bodybrilliance.co.za. And we'll send you the link for, um, for the next couple of weeks while we're on lockdown with pleasure. And it's completely free and we'd love to have you. And classes that's Mondays, an hour and long. Thursdays. Mondays, Mondays and Thursdays, five o'clock to six o'clock. But as I say, if you want to do the recording, we can send you that too. And do it in your own time. Sue Fullergood, specialist physiotherapist and body whisperer and energy guru. Thank you so much for your time and for helping us to pivot our mindset and our bodies at this time of confinement. You've given us so much insight and food for thought. Thank you so much, Sue. And to everybody who's listening, please remember to tune in to further podcasts to win at work and life with Nikki Bush.